Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. Uh, does anybody know what happened in January? Because I just realized it's February, and I have no idea uh, what happened in the first month of the year. Um, <clears throat> so far this year, we have uh, looked at the call to revision, and just a reminder that everything changes. You change, I change, the world around us changes. In order to be continuously effective, the church needs to be mindful that there are some things we may need to change, but we also have to understand some things should never change, and that's always the tension that we lived in. Then we were reminded this year about the call to prayer. Again, a part of the emphasis of revision is to figure out where God is moving and join him there. As I've said over and over and over again, because we do it over and over and over again, we have an incredible human capacity to figure out what we want to have done or even what we think should be done and then say, God, come join us, because I think this is just the best idea since sliced bread. The challenge is, the objective is to reverse that process and say, God, Show us where you're moving and how we can partner with you, uh, making it his idea rather than ours. We also spent a week with me talking about the call to mission and the reminder that we do what we do for a reason. And that reason is that God loves us and that God loves other folks and God has called us to live within that love, but as an overflow of that love, he calls us to speak into the lives of others. Last week, we considered the call to maturity, just a reminder that continued spiritual growth is the expectation for every Christ follower. Just showing up and getting older in Jesus is not the goal is not the objective, is not the expectation. Becoming more and more and more of what he created us to do or be or a journey toward increasing maturity is the expectation. Sometimes we think we get extra credit just for showing up. You know, how many of us, you know, had parents who said, I'm not going to pay you just for breathing, all right? <laughs> you got to do something around here. Maybe you've had employers say that. I'm not going to pay you to just show up. I expect you to do something once you get here. While our relationship with God is not merit-based, or not something that we earn, there is an expectation that as we walk in him, we become increasingly more of what he called us and created us to be. The disciples are an outstanding example. They didn't spend three years just hanging out with Jesus and be the same at the end of that three years. They were radically and dramatically and perhaps even traumatically different by the end of that period to the point that they were able to move forward and carry on what Jesus started. That was because in that process, they didn't just show up, but they increasingly 
moved on toward maturity. If you've read the Gospels, you understand they didn't get it right all the time. There were times Jesus said, oh, are you not paying attention? How did you miss that? Let me tell you again. But there were also times where he said, wow, that's awesome. You got it. So again, there is a call to maturity. And then today we're going to talk about the call to oneness. Or as the sign says out front in your bulletin says, the power of one. And again, a part of that, this is not all of it, and this is one of those you know, bumper sticker sayings that preachers like, all right? But, but there's meat to it, and that's unity without uniformity. Look around. Just, just take a minute and look around. Okay. Look at, look at some of these people. They're really different. Have you noticed that? Some of these folks around here are just flat different. We're not uniform. We don't all talk the same way. We don't walk the same way. We don't look the same way. But we are called to be united in the call to maturity. We're called to be united in the call to mission. We're called to be united in the call to prayer. We're called to be united in the call to revision. The call to oneness speaks to some level about unity without necessarily feeling compelled to uniformity. And again, the reason that's important is we have an amazing human capacity to expect everybody to be like us because we're just all that, right? I figured life out and I like the way I do things and I'm convinced the way I do things is the best way. And friends, I'm not bashing that, but I am saying the church has an incredible capacity to sometimes pursue uniformity more so than unity. And that's not helpful. And that doesn't help us with the call to mission. But before we look at what Paul says on the topic of unity, I want to take a moment to remind us of just how important it was to Jesus. Just prior to Jesus' arrest, he spent some focused time in prayer. I mean, he just really got on his face before God. And in John chapter 17, we have access to some of that prayer. And again, understanding that Jesus knew what was coming. Not just for himself, but he knew the challenges his followers were going to face. So this is kind of like his, one of his final pleas on earth to say, God, you got to be with these folks. Because Times are going to get tough. And so just just walk with me through John chapter 17, part of that prayer. John John chapter 17, verse 6. Jesus said, I have revealed you to those whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours, 
You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. So Jesus is saying, you know, God, I've got some of these folks, and, and, and we've been in this together. You picked them, they followed me, and, and we've been at this together. Verse 7, now they know that, that now they know everything, that everything you have given me comes from you. So he's saying, you know what, they've got some of the basics. They're beginning to get this. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. So again, he's saying, you know, these are the ones who are getting it, God. Verse 9, I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and all glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. So before Jesus left the disciples, he got on his face before God and poured out his heart and said, among other things, God... Help them to be one. And again, we talked before Christmas about the Trinity. And God the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, and they're one, but they're not one. But Jesus is saying, I want these people to know the same unity that God the Father and God the Son have. Wow. Do you, do you grasp how high that sets the bar for us? God the Father, God the Son are different, but they're one. One in purpose. And he's praying for those he's leaving behind to be one just as he and the Father are one. Then a little bit later in the prayer, he says in verse 20, my prayer is not for them alone. So what he, what he's doing here is he, initially he's praying for the disciples that he, he's gathered around him. And then he looks out beyond that toward the end of the prayer, and he's praying for everyone who believes because of the disciples' message. So friends, he's praying for you and I. In verse 20, he says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message. That's us, folks. Verse 21, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So again, he prayed for the disciples to be one just as he and the Father are one. And then he prays for us to be one just as he and the Father are one. And friends, understand that oneness is one of the means by which the world believes that Jesus was sent and was who he said he was. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. Friends, oneness is crucial to the mission. I have given them the glory that you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. Wow. Friends, just bear with me for just a moment. If unity among the believers was so important that it was a 
reoccurring theme in one of Christ's last earthly prayers. Do you think maybe it should be important to us? Do you think that perhaps it should be an important part of our prayer lives? You've heard me say before, I'm not going to judge you by my own low standards, all right? But I have an incredible capacity to say, Lord, would you please help them to see it my way? (laughs) Not quite so often to say, Lord, will you please help me to see it their way? Oh, my goodness, or even better yet... God, will you help both of us to see it your way? Because maybe we're both wrong. Or maybe together we're both kind of right. So, again, to me, as I prepared for this message, hey, I've, I've read John 17 before. I've taught on John 17 before. But to be reminded that in those last moments... You know the panic mode you're in when you're leaving on vacation. You're trying to tell your kids everything they need to remember while you're gone because you just know they're going to mess it up. All right? In those last moments, one of the things Jesus was desperate to have his followers grasp was the importance of them being one with him, one with God, because there's no way they could be one with one another without that. It was that important to Jesus. Oh my goodness, do you suppose maybe it should be important to us and it should be a part of our prayer life? Again, not praying for folks to get it right and see it my way, but for us, us to see it God's way. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved me even as you have loved, you have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus is praying, me and you, you and me, that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved me even, you love them even as you have loved me. Just a subtle suggestion that that should be part of our lives and our pursuit. So now moving on to chapter 4 in Ephesians, what Paul has to say on the topic. And he starts out, or I'm going to start out, he doesn't start out, we'll come back to the start in just a moment. But again, building on what we just saw from John chapter 17, our oneness reflects God's oneness. Read with me Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. Uh, again, uh, just it, how many times? You, you can't count because it's just been way more than you could imagine. But if you've been around here for any length of time, any length of time, you've probably heard me say, If God repeats something, that's saying, hey, pay attention. I told you once, I'm going to tell you again, I'm going to tell you again, I'm going to tell you again. All right, listen. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope 
when you were called. Three times in one partial sentence. There's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. I think we're up to six now. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Friends, when you read that, can there be any question that oneness matters to God? The fundamentals of our faith are one. Our God is one. That crazy three-in-one concept, our God is one. His oneness is over all and through all and in all. He is the only way by which we can become one with each other. And he is the only means by which we can become one with him. And our oneness is the only way we can completely reflect his oneness. I think it's not unreasonable to say that in an environment, in a culture that is increasingly far from God, one of the biggest problems is people aren't seeing enough of him in enough of us. Paul goes on, and he simply makes it very clear that our oneness is intentional. It just it speaks for itself. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. So, so again, you understand that the credentials of the person who says something adds weight or detracts weight from what's being said, right? If somebody who is really unhealthy lives a very unhealthy lifestyle, tries to tell you how to live a healthy lifestyle, you might smile and nod your head, but inside you're thinking, who are you to say this to me? Let's be honest, okay? Paul says here, as a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. He is literally... Not figuratively, he is literally imprisoned because of his service to God. And he's saying, hey, this matters. So maybe if somebody takes their faith that seriously, maybe it has some credibility. As a prisoner of the Lord, for the Lord then, I urge you, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. So in other words, you know what? I'm going all in here. I'm challenging you to step up. A life worthy of the calling you have received. Friends, just fast forward or go back. When he talks about the calling you have received, being worthy of it, what did we just read that followed this in verses 4 through 6? One, 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 one. Maybe that's a part of the worthiness, just suggesting. 
Verse 2. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Our oneness is intentional. The last part that I read, verse 3, did you notice what it said? Just, just, I hope you caught it. But it said, make every effort to keep the unity. Hmm. Not to create the unity, but to keep the unity. Friends, Christ has already made us one. We just have to be intentional not to mess it up with our self-centered human nature. Keep it. I died, Christ says, so that y'all might be one. So don't mess it up, Paul says. Keep what he created in you to enjoy. And he gives us just a little glimpse of what that might look like. Be completely humble. Yeah. I did. I, maybe, maybe you have a better grasp of that than I do. But I sometimes struggle with what would that even look like? What would that even look like for someone to be completely humble? Not wishy-washy, not somebody who doesn't stand for any anything at all, but someone who is firm and confident in Christ, yet completely humble. It's not about them ever. Not in a self-effacing way. Not in an insincere way, but just, it's just not about them. I, there are a couple people in my life that, that come to mind, and some of you might, might know them if I threw out their names, but friends, I, I have a lot of people that I love and respect greatly, but completely humble. That tells me if I'm gonna keep the unity, I got work to do. He goes on and he, and he says, be completely gentle. Now, now again, completely gentle. Strength under control. Again, not wishy-washy, not wimpy, but yet gentle. Again, you, excuse me, I don't know who you know. I know people that are gentle. But I know everybody that I would consider gentle has a button somewhere. All right? And again, I just think Paul is saying, you know what? you, you got to go all in here. Patient. And again, I'm, I'm really patient, but eventually... Eventually, the threshold gets crossed. Bearing with one another in love. To me, you can look at bearing with one another in love separately or because there was a comma there. It's kind of an explanation of what that patience looks like. You know, there, there's patience where 
I don't punch you in the throat even though I really, really want to. All right? We might think that that's patience. Or there's patience bearing with you in love where I may be really irritated, but I don't even want to punch you in the throat. All right? Maybe even to the point where I'm really irritated by you, but instead of not punching you in the throat, instead of not even wanting to punch you in the throat, I'm concerned for what I might do to deal with whatever it is that's causing you to irritate me. To me, that whole bearing with one another in love is coming alongside, not just tolerating, but coming alongside and looking to help to bear whatever it is that's creating the tension, frustration, or concern. And let me back up. And then he says there, make every effort, we already talked about, to keep the unity. The unity's there. And then he talks about this bond of peace. Pay the price to be united for the greater good. And I think about the bond of peace. Maybe some of you had this with your siblings where when you had a disagreement with your siblings, you know, your parents would lock you in a room until you hugged and made up. You know, sometimes that didn't end well for either one of you. But when I think about the bond of peace, is an understanding, a grasping that if we are not committed to working together, it will inevitably, eventually destroy us. And therefore, we have a a commitment, a bond, a determination to peacefully coexist. Again, uniform unity without necessarily uniformity. We both have value. Our independence, our uniqueness has value, even when it's sometimes it's like sandpaper. You know that sometimes sandpaper is really necessary. All right? It provides an incredible service at times. But if you're the one the sandpaper's rubbing on, it's probably a little irritating. Bond of unity or bond of peace. So again, it just encourages you to think about the intentionality that comes to it. We have to make a choice. There needs to be a degree of intentionality to reclaim or to preserve or protect the unity that Jesus creates. Friends, no matter how much you and I may disagree, if we both are pursuing a real, personal, life-changing love relationship with Jesus Christ, then Jesus has made us one. We don't have to create unity. We have to figure out how to keep the unity, the oneness that he has built within us. Our oneness includes all of us. Again, committed to unity 
without demanding uniformity. And this is a little bit longer passage, but I'm going to walk through it. <clears throat> but to each one of us, there's that one word again, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So again, Paul's emphasizing that there's differences, but there is a commonality through what Jesus has done to bring that bond of peace. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Again, that connection between unity and the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful schemes. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him, the whole body is joined and held together by every supporting ligament and grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Verse 7 through 10, emphasizing that his oneness is for all who respond to his message of hope, healing, and salvation. Verses 11 through 13, when it talks about he gave some to be teachers and pastors and apostles, in God's plan, he has a role for everyone. And it's his role. The church is at its best, and we are at his our best when we get that. Different parts, but all working together to create a healthy, strong whole. And then he concludes by emphasizing what that God-ordained oneness looks like. And I'm going to go back to those last two verses. I will go three. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and the, by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful schemes. And again, sometimes I think when we're bouncing around in our feelings and in our emotions and everything else, Maybe we need to step back and say, maybe there's some growing up that needs to happen here. Verse 15, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Friends, that's where we begin to see the power of one. All members of the body doing their part. All members of the body seeking to keep the unity. All members of the body celebrating and embracing a bond of peace. All members of the body speaking the truth, but always in love. And then 
join together, building ourselves up and in turn building up the body as each part does its work. The call to oneness, our oneness includes all of us. We all have a role to play. And a closing thought on the power of one. There's an interesting story in Genesis chapter 11. Sometimes sometimes I read passages of Scripture and it's like, huh? What? Genesis chapter 11, verse 1. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. This is after the flood, okay, and, and everything's getting up and going. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As the people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. So again, they're building something that's maybe a little stronger than what they've normally built. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered all over the face of the earth. So I hope you pick up on that. There's a a shift that's going on. It's like, hey, we've got some mad skills here. Let's build something that's stronger than anything that's been built before. And people will take notice that we've got our stuff together. And as long as we're building it, let's just see how high we can build it. Maybe we can build it high enough that we might be on the same level as God. There's a nice idea. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible. I I think that's a pretty cool thing. One people working together speaking the same language, nothing's impossible for them. God says, come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. Friends, as we talk about unity, it is imperative that we understand the differences between unity without Christ and unity in Christ. We must guard against unity around our purposes. And instead, make sure we're pursuing unity around God's purposes. Remember what I said earlier. Where is God moving and how can we join him? As human beings, we have incredible abilities, wisdom, and intellect. And therefore, we have an incredible capacity to say, I know what needs to happen So let's just make it happen. But it has to happen according to God's plan. We must always focus on being one with Christ before we can begin to be one with each other or one with his purposes.
So unity is an incredibly wonderful and powerful thing. But it must always be unity that is grounded and centered and driven by Christ-focused perspective. And again, that's where the call to prayer comes in. When we think of the call to oneness, we are praying for God's people doing God's will in God's way in God's time. And friends, I wish I could give us a magical formula for making that happen. But I've yet to figure out what that is or read a book that told me what that was. I suspect that's intentional because God wants us to work together to carve that out and to allow him to speak into our lives. And again, that comes back to the call to prayer. As you pray for our church, pray for God's people to be passionate about doing God's will in God's way in God's time. And understand that that might be different for this group than it is for the group down the street. It might be different for this group today than it was for this group 10 years ago. And it will be different for this group 10 years from now than it is today. The important thing is that we keep asking and we keep working together to embrace that call to oneness that we might experience the purest form of the power of one, that it would never be about our will, our way, our time, but it would always be about God's will, God's way, God's time. Pray with me. Father, that is just way so much easier said than done. But throughout history, you have shown repeatedly that it can be done. There have been those times where revival has broke out all across the globe in different seasons because groups of people sought to figure out where you were moving and how they could join you in it. And people with very different perspectives were drawn together around the oneness of doing your will, your way, in your time. And Father, we ask that you would empower us to do the same. That each of us would be mindful of the responsibility that we have as followers of you to keep the unity that you purchased for us by your death on the cross. That we would be committed to growing in maturity. That we would be worthy of our calling as each of us tries to increasingly become completely humble, completely gentle, patient, and bearing with one another in love because that's the calling you've set before us. We ask these things not in our own strength, but in the power of of the one who died 
that we might be one. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so I have in my hands three more of these. Does anybody want another? I will have them in the back. Um, Next thing, how many of you have one of these nice purple bulletins? Please grab a hold of it. Okay, there is a nice little tear-off piece. I would like you to all take and rip that off right now, okay? It says on the first part of it, it says, I will push. I'm going to ask that you put your name on that and a method to contact um, you because coming up uh, February 28th and 29th, we are going to really have a prayer Nice conversation with the Lord on our time slots. And we're asking that you sign up for that. And we'll give you more information later. So this is a leap of faith to put your name on a piece of paper and give it to me. I promise I won't do anything with it until we get closer. Okay. If you do not have enough room, if you want, I don't have enough of these, please put your name on a piece of paper. And on the back, just kind of write a piece of time where you might be available. Um, we're at the church, Friday night, two hours. Saturday night, two hours. Just come, have a conversation with the Lord. In between that time, there's our time slots. You can sign up for more than one, but please, 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 in the words of my friend Pat, if you sign up for more than one at a time, Don't do it consecutively because you might get distracted a little and not be conversation with the Lord but thinking of other things. With that, my voice is gone.